0: Hey, everyone. This is Jeff Veen, and I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for downloading the inaugural episode of the Presentable podcast. So my goal is to spend an hour every couple of weeks talking about design trends and the tools we use, how teams make great products, and just everything else that goes into building the digital stuff that we use every day. I appreciate you giving it a listen. I would love to know what you think. You can send feedback from our webpage at relay.fm slash presentable or on Twitter using at presentablefm. Hey, thanks again, and enjoy the show. Isn't eleven o'clock a little late for breakfast? Uh,
1: You know, I had an early morning today. uh, I'm a single parent with the kids this week, uh, which is my first time ever being a single parent with kids. Uh Um, So, yeah, it's uh, eleven a.m. Breakfast is, I think, I think um, on par. That's an achievement right, that you, right exactly. that you even
0: had breakfast that's a... <laughs> that i woke up at all <laughs> no that's impressive and i'm sure you know as, as as you know like
1: watching them and observing them like use all this technology and all the stuff that we've been working on for like the last 10 years like is completely like revelatory and oh, uh <clears throat> so much to learn
0: my children don't know a world without um without a touch device without touch screens no, exactly. So exactly, and my son is now at uh, for the last year or so has been doing a fair amount of Minecraft, and yep. um, and you know he did the the Pocket Edition on the iPad. He he really yep. enjoyed that. But then you know he starts watching YouTube. He sees the YouTubers. He wants to do mods and things like that. So we um, we built a PC together, and uh, and now use that for Minecraft. And he, like watching him go from my entire world is an iOS device to uh windows 10 with a keyboard and a mouse with that level wow. of abstraction he's like wow what is wrong with you people like <laughs> this, this, this that, you know and, and this to him that's terrible that's what dad does for work he like he uses this right. weird old machine where he like pushes buttons and like it makes no sense to him he's like whatever like if this is <laughs> he's oh like if "This it's is like what... going to the salt mines yeah, yeah totally totally yeah like, um so I find that I, I find that really funny such uh, a perspective yeah. yeah totally totally well and it really helps you know to sort of see the world through through those doesn't uh, it yeah. Does, like
1: they they they're like it, it's interesting to me because you know we now have an echo and uh, you know the, the the things that the kids were asking Siri before you know were all over the place and yeah. now that like you know the Echo is there and Alexa is just, you know, you can just talk to it. You don't need one of our devices. You know, they've lost all of their iPads and iPhones that we got them. So, like, they're, you know, stuck to our yeah. I, I devices now. Yeah. Um, now we have a room computer. So they can just talk to it all day long. It's like their best friend, right? The, you know, they're going to grow up in a world where they have these relationships. I mean, I guess we're going to jump right into it. Uh, yeah. You know, they have these relationships to uh, conversational interfaces and they don't have to jump through all these. The, the concept of Windows right as 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 a metaphor for um, as a, as a graphical user user interface um, they, they will have voice uis viewies you know and that's going to be
0: uh, <laughs> did you just coin that i haven't heard that
1: before I, I, I did not it is a thing but yeah you know guis and viewies um, kids are going to grow up with viewies and
0: have no patience for guis no. Yeah, you're right. And you are actually known for coining things. So I wouldn't nah. put it past you if uh, if you had. Fair. <laughs> um but no, I know. I think you're right. I mean, um literally th- the the document metaphor is something that I don't think oh had a lot of Oh my longevity. god. It's so like I you know, I think
1: this is actually it's so interesting to talk to you about this, right? Having worked on the web for so long and having like tried for so many years and, and decades to in some ways shed the legacy of the document model of the web, which, you know, I, I've been talking and thinking a lot about this lately um, as, as to where the internet came from and what the era was that defined the, the generation of the web that, that you and I kind of grew up in. And it's the era of the Cold War. Like we are still living the legacy of the Cold War. Like the Air Force funded the work that Doug Engelbart did that led to the mouse and the GUI and video chat and like all of these technologies that were designed to make soldiers more efficient when they were routing information for um, sending up missiles. You know,
0: Right. Exactly. And they were probably like all of that was conceptualized as we're going to share strategy documents. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, across the Navy and across the Air Force oh, and across the military. You're right. Yeah. The Cold War. Yeah. So that's that's the era that we are exiting and we are entering. You know, this is what I've been thinking a lot about, especially like at Uber now um, is like we are entering into the urban environment as the defining context that should start to define the I guess I don't know, postmodern yeah yeah sure, yeah, postmodern like computing era like era,
0: you know yeah, yeah, no that's uh that's a really good point, um but you're right when it, when it comes back to that sort of voice u i um and, and the degree to which you know children just find it obvious. Yeah. Um, I know my daughter does that. Like, I don't have an echo. Um, I haven't been able to get one over here in, in London yet, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, the, the, just her infatuation with Siri has right. been, and you know, she's four years old and it's, it's sort of remarkable that she, obviously you would just ask for stuff and then, you know, the computer would show it to you. Yeah.
1: What I, it's, what's so great is like, it's so unremarkable, um, in the sense that from a peer perspective right oh well this is going to sound crazy but like for all the other four-year-olds it's not remarkable to like talk to siri as though it's a thing you know you talk to you talk to dad you talk to mom you talk to like some of your friends you complain whatever why wouldn't you be able to like just talk to things around you we have this assumption this built-in assumption you and i that we shouldn't just be able to like walk up to our microphone and like i'm sorry the microwave rather and talk to it right you know and that's not going to be the case in the future in the future like the viewies are going to be all around us and um and the touch screens are going to be all around us and we're going to be the odd people that don't expect to be able to just sort of like you know talk to our car like i mean like night rider was there we grew up with that it was like oh that'll never happen that'll never happen
0: that's right that's right no i mean it's like when I, I got the new apple tv and i i plug it in and i show the kids and they walk right up to the screen and like yeah well these these buttons are awfully large but i'll try you know and they like <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, no, that's really interesting. Look, this is this is all good because this is what I wanted to t- talk about this week, which is the, this idea of the conversational UI um, and chatbots and and all of that has been uh, in the past. Ah, God, it feels like it's only the last two months that things have really started bubbling over. Yes. In particular, like I noticed in rapid succession, I think it was week after week after week, it was Facebook's f8 they say f8 right not they don't pronounce it fate do yes. they because that would be that would be no. nice though i think i like I, it well, i mean i that's that's the like the double entendre where you're like oh, oh i yeah, see what you right. did there would, but they, no it's I, i'm it pretty f8, sure it's f8 right. um uh with mark on stage basically giving almost all of it besides this sort of we have drones in the air and and things like that uh giving most of the stage time to messenger and 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 apps in chat. And then the next week, or maybe it was the week before, I can't remember, but Microsoft Build and uh, Sachin Adela up there doing essentially the same thing, saying the future is all chatbots. Yes. Really uncharacteristically for Microsoft, I thought. But Yes. And then it's uh, just um, uh, relatively recently, uh, TechCrunch uh, Disrupt in New York, which was, again, just startup after startup after startup. Uh, and very interestingly, I thought Facebook was there again, talking about, uh well we're 3 weeks in we have 10,000 developers uh doing chatbots this was uh stan uh, chikowski the head of product yes. for, for messenger saying so we've got 10,000 developers now uh on the platform writing chatbots and we have a lot of work to do because it's a nightmare like the user experience is yeah. terrible and um and sort of coming up and saying like we're on it we're going to work on this anyway um You've been thinking a bit about this kind of stuff as well. Did you go to any of those events, by the way? Um, I was at F8.
1: I was not at Build, and I was not at TechCrunch Disrupt. So if there were other things from uh, TechCrunch Disrupt that you saw, I'd love to like, learn oh, more did. about I, this. I, but... I
0: can't go to Disrupt. I can't, I, that's, that's too much for me it's uh it's mm. just, it's, I know. Yeah. uh, I'm fascinated by it. And I think we need that kind of stuff, like a, a way for people to just get up and show stuff off. But, uh, yes. the whole scene around it. And it's just, I mean, to, to the point it's, where yeah. it was like two full episodes of Silicon Valley on HBO were about mm-hmm. like <clears throat> TechCrunch disrupt and just absolutely lampooning the absurdity of it. Um, it's perfect. Yeah, it is. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, that's not really <laughs> something that I I could sit through for three days or whatever it is, but I do, I'm with I do follow it pretty yeah. closely because I just love to see what's coming out. So, um, that's, yeah, that's
1: what I mean. I mean, I guess that's, you know, if, if, uh, there's any either critique, but also, uh, a strangely distant sort of like, uh, ah, for me, it would be about my use of like product hunt. And it's essentially kind of like a mini tech crunch disrupt for me, like every day. um, it's my it's the way that I surf the future essentially. It's to see all the hopes and dreams and aspirations of entrepreneurs, you know, written down in like a 60 uh, character description and a title. And you know, you download the app, you download the experience, you you know, interact with the chatbot, you see yeah. what's going on. Like, and so I get this all the yeah, time.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I love you, it. A product, you're very good at it. Like, it seems like you got your head around what's going on there. Um, and that, to me, actually has has seemed to turn into like the new kind of. You know how the startups all were hoping for the TechCrunch article because it would give them the pop? They would get their first 50,000 users whenever they were in TechCrunch. Um, And it seems like that's shifted over to product hunt now, hasn't it? it's 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 um it's kind of like the miniaturization
1: of everything right like you know we sort of started with like blogger you know becoming twitter you get like you take off like the bodies of the articles and like then they become like tweets right you just have like the, the titles and now it's the same thing for like product releases you used to have like press releases and now you just go straight to product hunt it's like okay what's the title what's what's the line okay i'll try it out and i'll That's let you right. know what you I
0: don't think. need uh you don't need to follow it up with a think piece on medium uh,
1: usually if, if you're actually trying to change behavior or you're trying to like invent a new category or, uh, you know, you're trying to justify a bad design, you know, uh, where it's like, oh, right. we, we, we introduced this new constraint because we saw people, you know, weren't being their genuine selves. So, I mean, and this is not a criticism of like beam or Beamy or, uh, whatever Casey Neistat's thing. It's like, mm-hmm. I like yeah. the intention It it demands a number of like medium thought pieces to sort of say, hey, this is hard. And, you know, we're trying to change behavior and get people to be authentic when people are really afraid and they don't want to be vulnerable and they have a lot of shame. Like, you know what I mean? Um, So... Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the thought pieces are good for people who really want to dig in and kind of, like, understand the perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so, anyway, getting back to, yeah. like, F8 and, and, and all of this, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I have, frankly, had a number of designers come up to me and say, hey, what do you think about this whole chatbot, like, confer- conversational UI, like… Is this the end of the GUI? Uh, which is sort of catastrophizing what's happening here. This is just obvious. I love that word.
1: I want a T-shirt that says, uh, I catastrophize all yeah, day long. Yeah, no,
0: that's one of my favorite words. Um, and it is it is one of those sort of uh, um, cognitive disabilities that we are inherently uh, sort of burdened with is this idea of like, uh, I see pattern. I'm matching a pattern. Oh, my gosh, the worst possible thing is gonna happen saber-tooth That's tiger right, look out obviously an evolutionarily uh valuable skill to have useful. but yeah. um might not be so useful well, anymore, not so much but, anymore yeah. so anyway i have a lot of designers that have been asking me like do you think this is the end of the GUI?" and i obviously don't mm. but there's something in here that i think is really interesting
1: yeah yeah i completely agree Uh and i think it's so important actually to like help uh whether it's you know young or experienced designers or anybody sort of in between like maybe take a step back and understand this this shift because it is you know to your point and to these designers points like it is important there is something going on here um but it's not about the bots um and it's not just about conversation i think it's about a broader familiarity with with technology and a maturing of these products that that we've um adapted
0: ourselves to for so long what do you mean by that a maturing of these these products
1: i guess i you know Again, like you and I have uh, kind of like a 10-year and, you you know, 10-year and longer sort of perspective on, on the web and on technology and on its use by consumers, um, you know, normal people. Yeah. And we, like like going back to like the point about the Cold War, like, you know, you, you and 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 folks in this community have done a really good job of, of pushing the boundaries of this document model to make these technologies more accessible, easier to use, more familiar, more forgiving. Um to bend the browser to kind of do heroic things of interactivity that was never designed for a static kind of document format. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. But at the same time, um, our standard bearer for all the progress that we've made in the world is still largely Google in a lot of respects, um, which is, you know, a box that you have to type your intentions and desires into and you know, hit return and hope for the best that you're going to get a list of 10 things that, you know, are exactly what you were looking for. Um, as opposed to the way that you and I are making meaning right now, which is through negotiation. You know, you say something, I don't quite get it. I ask you to clarify. I repeat it back to you. You're like, ah, oh, that's kind of it. And then we go from there. Right. Mm-hmm. The way that we've designed computing interfaces is, is um, really to sort of adapt to the network model that we've had, which is not, typically synchronous. Synchronicity um, has only gotten there recently. I mean, the whole Ajax thing is about asynchronous JavaScript, right? Like, just just sort of piled out on for a moment. Now we're in a moment where, because the networks have gotten really good, because everyone has this computerized piece of glass in their pocket, because... Um, the expectations that people, you know, of what people should be able to do with their computing devices is more advanced and more nuanced and fits into people's lives better. And because we have APIs for so many services that used to be uh, much more monolithic uh, in, in nature and required sort of one-to-one integrations, um, you know, we have a lot more patterns that we've evolved, including like OAuth, which you know allows more technologies to talk to each other. Um, all of that creates this moment where we can actually say, actually, is this the best way for us to interact with our computers? Is this the most humane way? Does this actually fit into the way that we want to have this relationship? Or are we still forcing humans to lean towards the screen um, to change our way of interaction interaction to be easier for the computer to understand? I'll give you a concrete example. Um, In 2007, when Jobs announced the iPhone, there's this great – Moment in the announcement where it's like hey, you know smartphones aren't that smart. Okay, we all get that Um, But the other problem is that the 40% 40% of the screen the bottom 40 is Dedicated to something that doesn't make sense anymore, which is a hardware based keyboard So with the iPhone what we're doing is we're actually making a smart device that removes the need for a hardware based keyboard And we're gonna move to software. So that means that if you don't need the, the keyboard it goes away. That's great however The thing that that he did, and uh, there's there's a bit of history about this, um, is that he decided that instead of actually moving to a more productive keyboard format like Dvorak or whatever, he kept with the QWERTY design. And the QWERTY keyboard actually uh, was, I don't know, invented or created in the late 1890s. So imagine that you've got this, you know, over a hundred year old technology that is the primary means for interacting with the computing system that is going to revolutionize, you know, computing for the future. Uh, and we're holding on to that. What it means is people were so familiar with that model that we couldn't get rid of it. And so we uh, have this technology that was influenced by whether it was the, the mechanical keyboard or parsing Morse code. That's what led to that design um, for communication. And I guess what I feel like as we move to conversational software, we have a moment to actually divest from those path contingencies. That's the word, path contingencies. What or how do we want to interact with our technology in a way that's more humane, more productive, more like the way that we interact with each other? Um, And I think that's why, you know, when we started talking about kids, they don't have all those path contingencies. So how does that unlock us and free us to design, you know, more magical, easier to use experiences that reach more people in more places um, now that we have all these new, new components and parts
0: at scale? Certainly generational. Like you make the the, the case of the keyboard sort of following with us, which ironically, uh, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but my understanding is the QWERTY, the QWERTY keyboard was designed that way to slow people down to, so that the mechanical machine could keep up with it. Right, like, So that it wouldn't jam. Yeah, there's two stories. That's
1: one of them. The other one might be related to Morse code. And I'm not sure which that I like, couldn't find a definitive answer. But when I was researching it, it's one of those two things. And the point is there's a, a, a mechanical uh, influence right. on our software design today. That's, that's the point.
0: What I find interesting about the, even the term conversational UI is that I have always taken for, for, for my entire career this position that design is a conversation. Right Like a metaphorical yes. like I have a set of resources on a server that you want to get to, and I can't just tell you where they are, and you can't just ask me, we have to use this disintermediated user interface to communicate back and forth, and we've set a, uh, a we we've agreed on a set of affordances. Right? Like different and literally widgets, a drop down menu, a tab, a set of tabs, a uh, text field with a button next to it. Like those are all just inventions. And those are inventions from I would guess like the late seventies, early eighties, when, when the work was happening at Xerox Park and other places around how do we get input and output in in a way that is Uh, frankly, more discoverable, and perhaps at the time more intuitive than the command lines that were the dominant um, metaphor. It's weird. So and I am, frankly, fine with abandoning those metaphors, uh, because they are of a time and a place. And we have pushed them at the sort of presentation layer, right? Like I think, you know, the the Mm -hmm. material design at Google or the iOS 7, 8, 9 sort of uh, human mm. interface guidelines are simply just sort of fashionable versions of the same thing that was happening at Zurich's park in 1980. Um, yes. And I'm totally fine with moving forward and finding new ones. And we have, you know, we have things like, like um, the, the pull down to refresh, which never existed before. And that's an interesting one. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's other parts of, uh, like the Tinder swipe. The swipe is another one that would really only make sense. Cause it's hard to do with a mouse. Right. So, um, yeah. Or the long press uh, and the force touch, which uh, doesn't feel like it's catching on, know, but yeah. it's in the right. It's no. that's the right direction. Like there's things we can yep. do now, and we can press harder, and we can measure that and stuff like that. But this, this conversational UI is is taking a step further. Um, and one of the big questions I have is, is if we do hit in that direction. It doesn't feel like we have the same level of discoverability. I mean, the menu bar, right, on the Mac was remarkable in that you didn't have to go to the manual to find out what all the commands were. You could just go look, mm. and there they are, right? And, that's, and think about the difference between that and, like you know, uh, looking at man pages in Linux. <laughs> yes. Oh right? my God. But For I, sure. I, it's literally this, the same thing is happening. I need to know all the functions of this program, but the, right. The difference. No, no, no. Okay. Right. Okay. I want to stop yeah. you
1: right there. Cause I think this is the problem. Uh, this is where you easily sort of slide into, uh, what did you call it? Uh, uh, death and destruction, uh, the end of the
0: world, the end Catastrophizing. of the
1: GUI. Thank you. Yes. This is that moment. <laughs> We have pinpointed the moment, everyone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, here's the thing. And this is this – is, I think this is significant, and this is really important for designers. And I know that you, you understand this, obviously, coming from, like, Adaptive Path and the, the concept of service design. Um, it isn't that the GUI or the CUI or the VUI or all these different sort of manifestations of interaction um, are necessarily going to replace the previous uh, generation or era. I think it's that they are going to both augment – supplement, uh, and, and sure, in some cases maybe provide, uh, access to a new audience that otherwise wouldn't have ever even bothered with a GUI, you know? And, you know, here's one example of that, uh, the fact that you can request an Uber from within Facebook messenger, you know, a lot of people would ask, well, why would I do that? If I have the app, you know, like it's just so much easier. It's so much more clear. I'm like, precisely, you are not necessarily the target for the per for, for that feature. This feature is great for those people. Let's say you have uh, uh, not to pick on in-laws in Montana, but let's say you have in-laws in Montana who don't really use Uber uh, and they're coming to visit you in San Francisco and you want to get them, you know, help them get around and they don't want to get a rental car for all these reasons. Well, if you happen to be talking to them through Facebook Messenger and you want to order them an Uber, you can do that through Messenger and they don't need to install an app. They don't need to do anything extra. They have all the things that they need, which is a communication channel to interact with Uber as a service, Mm -hmm. right? So it is a way of actually delivering conversational software. Conversational UIs is a way or a method of delivering your service in a way that's a little more sparse and meets people where they are and provides access. Like uh, conversation with UI is not going to replace sketch. It's not going to no, replace Minecraft. No, like right, right. there are obviously very specific contexts where conversation uh, makes sense and where it's uh, a way of reaching people in a way that just feels normal and natural and is actually more appropriate than pulling out your device. Um, you know, there are cases where, you know, maybe you're in a meeting or I don't know, you're in the bathroom or something and it makes more sense to like text people. Great. You know, Use text messaging. That's conversational. Uh, does it make sense to pull out your phone when you're on the toilet, like in a you know public bathroom? Uh, I mean, some people do it. I, I prefer not to. Um, so it's, <laughs> we'll, it's we'll leave that right there. Trying <laughs> to be, yeah, well, yeah, uh, people can do whatever they want. Um, it's more about being adaptive to, I think, to people and to the 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 attention modes and attention spans and, and moments that people have. For these tasks and thinking about it from that perspective, as opposed to saying, well, we're just going to get rid of like the, the, you know, the man pages like no, the man pages are infrastructure, they're there, they're sort of like built scaffolding that we can sort of rise above. And in this next generation, it's about making these services that we use and encounter a little more subtle, a little less, you know, beat you over the head with them. Um, and a little bit more forgiving.
0: So you, you mentioned something, and I think all of that is great. And you mentioned something in that uh, description of Uber with uh, in-laws from Montana saying they, they don't want to install the app. Now, there's, there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's been some really interesting um, sort of behavioral studies on how people are using their phones. And, um, and what they're finding is, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, 80 to 90% of people's usage of their phones is in three or four apps right and they, yes. and they may have 10 or 20 apps installed but it's only three or four that they use and they are all going to be social interactions and communication right those are the apps yeah. and and the reality is when you zoom back there are very few apps that people use frequently that make use of the insane processing power of these little supercomputers we carry in our pockets right yes. the the camera You know that's a good example of Mm -hmm. one. Um, There's there's probably a a couple others, but for by and large, people use the phone to communicate. Uh, They just do so by typing on it, or or frankly, looking at a feed, and or entertainment, um, right? I mean, music and stuff like that, movies. Yep. yep. What I find interesting about that is that the primary mechanism for their interaction, for the beginnings of the interactions with those uh, with those apps, is a notification. And I'm not that familiar with uh, Android. You probably are more than I am. But at least on iOS, that is, the the way in which the operating system manages displays and lets us interact with notifications is terrible. It's it's mm. just so bad. Like it it has taken at least five years for uh, notifications just to get a reverse cron list in the today sort of pull down thing from the top. Right. That, uh, that today mm-hmm. view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let alone any meaningful interaction with a. Uh, on the lock screen or anything, um, uh, some have a reply. But but if you were to look at what's happening in some of the messaging apps around um, the different types of notifications that can come in, whether it's a Uh, continuation of a conversation you're having with another human or an interaction with uh, some kind of bot or or automated service or uh, headlines coming from things that you've subscribed to. They're handled in different ways. You're always a tap or two away from things like mute or unsubscribe or kill or whatever. And it's it's just such a different experience. This is something that actually, there was this great article. Did you see this? The product manager for WeChat. Yes. Guy named Dan Grover. Uh, who wrote this piece. Great, great. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's called Bots Won't Replace Apps, Better Apps Will Replace Apps, which I found (gasps) absolutely fascinating. First, it's just a history lesson of like going back to the old Nokia candy bar phones and looking at messaging and all the way up through. It was great. Uh, It was a fantastic, and we'll put a link in the, uh, the notes that come with this. This podcast, but what what he was saying is that the reason that the messaging apps uh, getting so interesting has so much to do with the operating systems so fundamentally missing this. Yeah, yeah, I I think this is an amazing point. It's it's
1: so good um, because it implies a couple things. You know, one is that our our notifications infrastructure uh, sucks. You know, Uh, we've created a a sort of a channel, you know, push messaging to, to send messages to users. And this has been exploited for a number of things, mostly re-engagement. It's like, hey, some app is feeling needy. You know, you don't have an active relationship with it. You know, it's 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 pinging you all the time and being like, hey, here I am. Like, come play with right. me. And you're like, I, I just, I'm not that
0: interested, you know? You know, gems, the gems are 50% off for the next hour. You can buy some more <laughs> yeah, gems. Yeah, totally.
1: So, unfortunately, uh, you know marketers you know brands and so on have realized you know uh, email it's so amazing like the exploitation that happens on the internet i mean uh, it's it's great in some ways that it's still a wild old west and it's not I mean, it's, it's regulated in some respects, like there's the can spam app and, and stuff like that. But like, you know, notifications haven't really gone to that same route. Um, you know, the user has a lot more control. They can block, uh, and they can turn off notifications or they can uninstall the app. Like, so there's, there's, there's some stuff in there that's different than email, which is an open, open platform. So I guess the thing that's interesting to me is like, you are proposing that the notification infrastructure should be that much better than it is now in terms of the mobile operating systems. And I would agree. Um, You also have to put this into context in terms of where we are in the evolution of services being able to talk to users, right? This is sort of the whole premise behind why I, I, you know, push this concept of conversational commerce. It's because uh, brand services and commercial entities now have the opportunity to engage with people um, in the West in ways that have previously mostly, if only primarily, been reserved for your friends, family, you know, colleagues and so on, you know, humans, yeah. right? And so that creates this huge opportunity to both do amazing things and to really f- things up, right. right? Because brands are like, oh, this is amazing. Like, you know, now I have a triple barrel shotgun to shoot my users in the face, you know, and like get them to come back to my app. But the difference is if you screw up that channel, you may lose that customer or that relationship forever mm-hmm. because once you're blocked, you know, you're really blocked and so this actually, I think this moment sort of creates a rebalancing. And once that starts to happen, you know, whether it's Facebook or whether it's Apple or whether it's Google, I mean, so it'll be interesting to see what what announcements they make at all, um, either towards, you know, bots, conversational software, assistance, uh, notifications, and so on. It's like, how do... We actually allow for these conversations to become more useful, more productive, more respectful. I mean, we're like at the HTML 3.2 phase of uh, you know notifications, oh, right? Yeah. And there, okay. there's a reason because they're so exploitative. So um, I want to I want to actually sort of like level this up a, a, again because um, going back to whether we're talking about the keyboard or, or you know you were talking about drop down menus and um, all the Xerox Park innovations around UIs and stuff like that. Really, what we're talking about. Uh, before we get, you know, mental telepathy between ourselves and other people, or ourselves and brands and computers, and you know, we go full on Matrix. Um, we are looking for ways of taking the meaning, the things that we we know or think or understand that are you know in each of our minds. You know, the stuff that's in my mind right now. Uh, it's going through a, a translation process to turn these thoughts that I have into strings, you know, words. Mm-hmm. That then I can communicate to you in this case through voice, and then will be received by you in a way that you can understand. And what we've been working on, you know, since that cold war era is how we can translate the ways in which humans communicate into ways that computers can understand, right? So there's, there's a lossy translation process that has always existed. And I think what we're starting to get to with AI and with um, these supercomputers in our pockets, and with voice transcription and uh, speech to text, and all of these different ways of transmuting between these different formats of expression, is getting to a finer degree of fidelity in the way that users can express themselves, so that computers can understand their intentions and then deliver something back to them. Yeah. You yeah, know. Yeah. That's. And so the notifications thing that you're talking about is because computers don't have any fucking clue how to talk to us. You right. know. They don't have any nuance, and I think we're on the verge in in the conversational framework of allowing them to actually to say, I, "Look, I don't I don't know exactly what you mean, but I've got a bunch of things that I can do for you. Let's negotiate the meaning and your intentions, and then let me help you um, learn about the things that I can do, and then I'll respond to you ideally with a more precise uh, response than what you might get if you talk to someone on the phone." Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's um that's interesting and hard because you have this sort of uncanny valley. Yes. The more that we communicate with the computers in a method that is similar to how we communicate with one another, the finer-tuned our 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 sort of bullshit detector will be. Yes. Our expectations are so high. That's right. We know what we're expecting here, and uh, this is weird.
1: Why doesn't the computer? The computer has no empathy for me. It's like, of course, because it has to be programmed. So
0: that, right, it has to be programmed, and by whom is what I'm really interested in. To kind of bring this back around, it will be a very sort of pure version of user experience design that we do to sort of facilitate these conversations, I would say. There's this... um, this this article by uh, Ben Brown. Do you know Ben Brown? He's the founder of, yeah, of sure. Howdy. Yeah, Howdy. Yeah, sure. From Howdy. yeah. Uh, yeah. And full disclosure, that's also one of uh, True Ventures, my employer's uh, portfolio companies. So, um, so you can see my bias right there. I think he's awesome. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, but he was writing about um, sort of uh, this this product that they're working on and how it connects to Facebook Messenger. Uh, and he he wrote one of the m- things that excites him most about bots is that we're sort of no longer guided by the principles of graphic design that have informed how our software looks and acts, like we were just talking about. But what he says is writers, editors, and other language experts now have a leading role in the design and implementation of software in a way more direct and critical way than ever before. And I love that. Oh, I agree. There was this article yeah, yeah. that, I don't know, the, a lot of the East Coast media looks at Silicon Valley like it's still on Mars. Or it's something. a monkey yeah, show. Yeah, but, but this art, So this article uh, from the Washington Post called um, uh, titled, The Next Hot Job in Silicon Valley is for Poets. Um, and if you sort of wade through all of the hyperbole, the, um, they, they do really interesting. They sort of follow around the six person writing team that goes into the writing room every day at Microsoft for, uh. Uh, Cortana and there's a screenwriter and there's a uh, like linguistics expert and uh, and you know these people get together every day and say, "All right, what are we solving now and what experiences are we going to put into this assistant find that I find that fascinating um, and finally, perhaps a uh, a way for uh, the liberal arts majors to participate in the in the new economy
1: oh, I was totally going
0: to agree with that um,
1: and i think it's it's incredibly powerful and incredibly useful you know i it's, it's you know for me, it's interesting because i um I studied design. I, I went to school for ux design um, and yet most of my career in Silicon Valley has been working with engineers and developers. So I've had to really again, kind of like modify myself to be both more palatable uh, to that uh, audience and to also really understand their world and, and their perspective. And I think that now, like you said, I mean every iteration of iOS or material design is really a refinement on um, I don't want to say like the, you know, the end of GUI innovation yeah. cause the, you know, it never, right. it never ends per se, but we're sort of at a point where it's like, okay, we kind of have like the primitives, let's keep refining them, making them better and more responsive, like, you know, easier to use, et cetera. But it's a lot of like skinning going on, um, to now where we actually like need to really understand like poetics and, uh, aesthetics and a lot of the stuff that I think Steve jobs like cared about when he was talking about, you know, the merging of art and design or art and technology, um, you know is where some really rich stuff can happen now that's going to be writ large across i think silicon valley and 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 the rest of the world that uses technology um, to think about the quality of the interaction it's not just like it's not just about speed anymore like everyone can get speed from amazon or from google um, but it's about how does this make me feel and is this the kind of thing that makes me want to come back and so conversational agents conversational software is the perfect Environment to uh, experiment and explore with that stuff, and so I definitely agree that the skill set that people are going to need going forward is going to be, you know, broader um, and more diverse. and And I think diversity brings a lot of really, really good things to to product I design. I w- could
0: not agree more. It is absolutely um, the the where you say the the quality of the experience people are having. I would also say the appropriateness of the of the responses. Yes. That we get are getting back from from not just chatbots, but from from any UI. But I think crystallized and and laser focused on on chatbots and assistants and and all of the, the 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 things that are responding to us today. It shows the biases of the team behind it in ways that are just mm-hmm. so uh, laid bare. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So, um, I, you know, here's one thing that uh,
1: listeners can go check out. There's something called um, Humani. Jesse's story, which I think it launched right around the time that, um, you know, around FA and all the, the announcements, this is kind of one of those smarter child type, you know, interactive things where she has like a life story and you kind of like go through it. It's a little bit like a game. Uh-huh. Um, but the voice and the character, uh, is a big part of the experience. The things that she does or the things that she says, the things that she offers, like, I think that this, this is, uh, will create kind of an explosion of, of, um, branded bots that, uh, or just interactive agents that people will want to actually choose to incorporate, just like people use, you know, sticker packs and emojis and things like that to sort of express themselves. It's kind of like, who's in your bot pack? You oh, know, yeah. like your rat pack. It's like
0: the, uh, so, it's like the voices you download for your GPS in your car. Yes, I want, yes. want so, Ozzy like, Osbourne to give me uh, driving instructions.
1: Totally. But think, so let's, you know, let's let's pretend like we're old people for a second. Oh, I don't like, have to pretend. You
0: know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is if you imagine yourself being a teenager again and you imagine the kind of clickiness that exists and the kind of like, who am I, how how do I sort of identify myself? How do I find support in the people that I know? You know, there's going to be a bunch of teenagers that grow up with these chat bots as being in their click, being their friends, like that they will interact with in a normal way. Like Siri is kind of everyone's best friend right now. It's sort of like the, the, the cool aunt, um, you know, that you don't mind like shooting the shit with. Um, I think there's an interesting opportunity to, Start these relationships now with these bots or characters that sort of grow with you. And, you know, there's movies that sort of like demonstrate these concepts or whatever. But that those bots and those characters and those those interactions then provide you with a means to access other third-party services and um, and stuff. So when you're designing your service, when you're designing your apps, when you're designing all this stuff, it's actually really important to think about how those characters will invoke and access your stuff. And and I bring this up because um, Viv just came out, um, I think, last week, or, or actually at it was Disrupt. At Disrupt.
0: Yeah, that's the um, yeah. That's the team that was behind Siri, sold it to Apple. That's right. Uh, and were very dissatisfied with what Apple did with Siri and said, well, we're going to do it again and do it right. That's the story, I think. That's I right. That's right.
1: That That is the story that I heard, and, and that's as I understand it. And the thing that's really interesting about Viv is... Um, and they they use natural language understanding and processing to sort of route your request and and they they focus on what they um at least in their in their uh in the tool that they provide it's called uh, they talk about goals so what is the goal of this user so here's the text let's uh, extrapolate what the goal is and then let's find the services that actually meet those goals what they do that i think is so interesting and really didn't i think come through in the TechCrunch demo if you go watch it was that the way that they actually layer together a number of different apis you know from like yelp or open table or uh fandango etc to solve a general goal of a person like The goal could be, I want to go out with some friends tonight and have a good time. And so Viv can go and say, okay, well, you know, here's where Civil War is playing, and I booked you a restaurant reservation um, nearby. You'll be able to finish in time to watch the movie, and I booked you an Uber so that you guys can all get there at the same time, Um, and you don't need to worry about transportation and parking, right? The goal was, I want to have a good time tonight. Viv interprets that and says, okay, here are the different ways you'd have a good time, and here are all the services that I can bring into this moment to solve your problem. Now, from a distribution perspective, all those different services got distribution through that channel, and then the question is, how does Viv get distribution and create that relationship? And it might be through this qualitative difference in terms of the persona, the personality, or the quality of the experience that they offer that's different than any other bot or service.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. The persona, though, is something to to have a have a yes. look at, right? Like.
1: And so that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Will there be multiple Vibs right. with multiple personalities where there's like the Valley, you know, persona and like the stodgy person and the Samuel L. Jackson version? Uh, uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, to date, to be fair, Viv seems to be the first one that's not overtly female. And, you know, uh-huh. there's got yeah. there's, there's something I, I think inherently Ugh. just so Silicon Valley about the fact that um, – we're making assistance you know, like men are programming no, assistants no, it's, it's that not, are, are, are essentially women to do tasks. I for don't, them.
1: it's not just Silicon Valley. I mean, Silicon Valley has a lot of, uh, gender, uh, problems, um, uh, or at least it's working on them, but it's not, you know, we're not in a great place. However, there's a broader systemic oh, oh, yeah, global problem. Right. And I think the problem is that a lot of these devices, specifically, you know, at the OS level, are sold to environments around the world where, uh, you know, gender equality is not even a conversation yet. Um, and it is bullshit, you know. And so it's an opportunity for us, of course, to, like, build in um, a greater degree of, of, of empathy and understanding uh, and equality into these services, which I think is your implication. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Viv being sort of gender ambiguous might be a great opportunity actually to, uh, to push that edge, um, in a way that is subtle, doesn't, you know, beat people over the head with it and allows them to sort of relate to it in a way that doesn't feel like it's sort
0: of accusatory and then they become okay with it. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, yeah, no, this is, Hey, this has been a really good conversation. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no, this is great. I,
1: I, I just, I love talking about this stuff because it, for me, the reason why I came out to Silicon Valley, um, you know, 10, 11 years ago, um, as a designer and I got involved with Mozilla um, and I helped, yeah. you know, with the community organizing around Firefox yeah, just because yeah. I really wanted technology to be able to be more available uh, to more people and to really service people however and wherever they are. And we've spent a long time making this stuff easier and better to use. Um, and now we have all this like growth machinery to like, you know, attract and acquire new users who previously, you know, didn't use technology. Um, I think this next realm, this next opportunity, is to really try to humanize the technology and to to make it feel like technology is more a partner and a, a tool for augment, uh, augmenting human potential than one that's st- strictly extractive and trying to take advantage of,
0: uh, of no, people. No, I totally, totally agree. I'm, uh, my, my own path here was that I actually started my career in journalism and and uh, mm. was doing a bunch of writing, uh, storyteller. Yeah, Perfect. storyteller, and but at the same time, uh, sort of dismayed that. Um, I was the only one that got to tell the story. That just didn't seem, Mm. it seemed weird. I would go to these events and I would cover them and there'd be four or five other journalists at these events. Uh, And then I would like go look at all their stories that they wrote the next day. Um, And we all had different angles on it. And I'm like, there's no uh, objectivity here. Everybody should be telling Mm. their own stories. And it was very clear to me even back then that the web was this mechanism for the democratization of that kind of stuff. And boy, has that totally, <laughs> look at how, it's, you how right. it's changed society in these 20 years. Um, it's been absolutely remarkable. Um, yeah. so, uh, you're at Uber now, what are you doing at Uber? Uh, I lead developer experience. What does that mean, um, then? yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's an
1: invented thing, I guess, uh, because I'm an odd shaped person. So it's like hard for me to figure out exactly like what I do. Um, but I guess what I do is I, I I try to I try to work with developers um, who want to build on Uber's platform, um, and that means, uh, for one thing, figuring out what the platform should do and how it should operate, um, and it's it's uh, speaking at conferences and organizing hackathons, um, helping us you know to create that kind of like porous membrane for Uber, um, as a, you know, technology and logistics company that other people can start to rely on and build their own businesses on top so, of, you know, whether
0: that's right. 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 So we're starting to see pieces of that. Like I, uh, here in London use the city mapper app and, um, uh, for, for transit instructions and it now integrates like adding Uber to your transit and stuff like that. So that's exactly so that right. Kind of that's exactly yeah, that's right.
1: Good. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it, it, I appreciate that you brought it up because it does demonstrate, and I think Uber is actually leading this in a lot of ways, just I mean you know with or without my participation, um, is really about thinking about how it atomizes the services that it offers and makes those services available in as many contexts as possible. You know when I wrote my piece on conversational commerce, I used Uber as like the leading example because they brought ordering an Uber into the messaging context and it felt fairly natural and straightforward. And so it wasn't about, you know, distributing the app. Like Uber is not in the business of making apps. Uber is in the business of offering a service that allows people to get from, you know, point A to point B um, efficiently and uh, cost effectively. So we want to be wherever people have that need and have that intention. Um, It just happens to be, you know, that an app is a good way of offering it. But it also means that being in conversation contexts also works. So that's a big part of the platform. That's an
0: interesting place for you to end up. That's pretty cool. Congrats on that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're on Twitter. Where can people follow you?
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, Chris Messina um,
0: and chrismessina.me. All right, cool. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me.